This is a Federal News Network podcast. We now know what's going to be occupying Congress for the next, what, weeks, months? For a look inside that infrastructure bill and a few other matters, we turn to Bloomberg government congressional reporter Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. And before we get to that bill, though, of course, there is the skinny budget in the meantime. And I didn't mention that first because once the budget development is out there on Congress's plate, it might be the next fiscal year till they get around actually doing something right. about it. But what do we know about the skinny budget? What does it generally going to look like and so on? Well, it's supposed to be coming soon. And this is, uh, it, it seems looking to kick off the federal spending regular appropriations process. It's probably going to be a lot slimmer than you usually see from a president's budget proposal. They've been occupied with their other major legislation and all of that. So we're definitely off to a late start. But the expectation is they'll at least put some top line numbers out there on how much money agencies should be getting. It looks like the big fight here is over just the basic question of defense versus non-defense spending. We've had uh, some of my colleagues have reported a while back that the uh, expectation from the Pentagon is basically a flat Pentagon budget. Uh, being proposed. There are progressive lawmakers who say, wait, we should cut that. Republicans say, you know, three to five percent increase at least is necessary. It, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from there, because a lot of the time the president's budget proposal just gets thrown in the trash when it gets to Congress. Some of the non-defense stuff will be interesting to see their proposals, and that'll probably help the appropriators. But largely, you know, this might just be a, a political document. Well, my sense is it'll be a well-prepared one because this team looks like it knew what it wanted to do way back, even before the election, because of the steady drumbeat of fairly well-baked ideas that have been coming from the administration. So, yes, it'll be top line, but I think it'll be pretty well thought out. It, it may, you know, in at least the details that appropriators need, sure. Um, but I would also point out, you know, they still don't have an OMB director full time. They have an acting OMB director who just was confirmed as the deputy who, who came in very recently, Shalanda Young, who's very knowledgeable about, about appropriations. She's a staff director on appropriations before, but she hasn't had very much time. You know, this they, they kind of have the backup crew here uh, finalizing the agency's proposals. So I do think it'll probably be thin. I think they know what they want on the things they're putting into this, but I, I wouldn't expect it to be extremely detailed, uh, including on some of the policy regulatory stuff that you'd often see in there. My expectation is they'll tell appropriators how much money they want and they'll be serious about it, but it'll probably be a lot less detailed than usual. Yeah, and the analytical perspectives are usually my favorite thing to read, so I hope there's something right. in that part of it. But then we've got, of course, again, it's not really legislation yet, but the proposal, which has a lot of resonance, at least on the Democratic side in Congress, for this big infrastructure bill, the American Jobs Act, I believe they're calling it. This is going to be a lot for federal agencies. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that might get passed through the federal government via grants to state and local, but there's a lot that could be big for federal contractors. You know, some of the stuff they put in here, electrifying the federal fleet, a lot of the vehicle stuff, some of the environmental stuff that would go through the EPA, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, when you're talking about a two and a quarter trillion dollar infrastructure measure, there clearly is going to be a lot of money 
uh, going through the federal government. We'll see how that works out when it's actually pr transformed into legislative language, because this is sort of broadly worded from the president. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a, a, a really massive bill. Yeah, there are some specific items, as you mentioned, like money for buying more electric vehicles in the postmaster general that the Democrats don't like that is still held over from Trump said, sure, we'll buy more electric, but help us out here. So he may, in some strange way, get what he's asking for to buy fully electric. And then there's money, I think, $50 billion for the National Science Foundation. Yeah, the National Science Foundation portion is actually one of the few that has had some bipartisan input. Uh, that money is part of a, a little bit broader uh, sort of uh, competing with China focused piece of legislation that lawmakers had been talking about. Uh, in fact, Chuck Schumer has said that that potentially could be separated from the rest of it. We're still waiting to see how lawmakers are going to chop this up or, or try to pass it in one major package with everything in it. But the uh, the National Science Foundation money uh, is actually one of the portions that, you know, if it were to stand on its own, potentially could probably get some bipartisan support. The question is, how does it work into everything else in this bill? We're speaking with Jack Fitzpatrick, congressional reporter for Bloomberg Government. And will this crowd everything else out of Congress that it might otherwise be looking at these days? This is the big focus in Washington. I'm curious uh, how fast they're even going to get going on regular appropriations, uh, defense authorization, because there are so many uh, pieces of legislation, or really these two massive pieces of legislation that the Biden team is treating as the emergency, the, the major focus here. Uh, so if you're waiting on you know, an immigration bill or a, a gun bill, even democratic priorities, um, a lot of stuff seems like it's probably going to have to wait because they're going to be working on this infrastructure, et cetera, package uh, for a little while. And Pelosi has said, you know, the goal is to get this done by July 4th, but we don't even know if that'll really happen. So this is probably going to dominate the attention for a few months. Yes, because just given the White House summary of it, it looks like it would take two or three thousand pages of legal language to even write the bill. Yeah. And a lot of these proposals are written more in political language than legislative language. Every time the White House has been asked about flexibility with Congress, they've sort of hinted at, look, lawmakers are going to do their work with this. I wouldn't be surprised to see some substantive changes to it. But even just turning this proposal into detailed legislative language is a, a really big job. It would be a massive bill. And as I said, we don't know um, the the packaging and sequencing strategy that Democrats are going to try to take to get this done. So there's going to be some committee work. There's going to be uh, congressional leaders talking about this. It's probably going to take a, a pretty long time, and it, it could be transformed into something uh, fairly different by the time it gets through the process. I did notice one detail the last time when we had that big bill in 2009, early in the Obama administration, in response to the financial meltdown from mortgages, the term shovel ready came into vogue. This time they're saying shovel worthy, which could then become shovel ready. I noticed that little detail somewhere in that fairly lengthy summary from the White House. So they're they're learning from the past because shovel ready, there's not that many projects around shovel worthy. That's almost infinite. This is not something that they are treating as an immediate stimulus to the economy. They did say this money goes out over the course of eight years. And while they are calling it the American Jobs Plan, a lot of this, you know, the climate stuff, 
these are policies that Democrats want more for the long run. So they're kind of treating it differently, and, and at least to some extent learning from uh, some of the political pitfalls of the Obama era. But there are there are political risks to this, obviously, that, you know, while infrastructure is uh, a bipartisan priority to some extent, we're seeing a lot of Republican pushback. Uh, Democrats are, are are wondering if they could get people on board because they're they're doing an earmarks system for this. But obviously, going going to the earmarks route carries its own political risk. There's a reason it was banned for a decade. Um, so you know, Biden seems to be trying to avoid some of the mistakes that Obama may have made. But uh, you know, we'll see how different the approach really is as it works through the legislative process. Jack Fitzpatrick is congressional reporter for Bloomberg Government. As always, good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors and it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to 
pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service.